This is Josh Mills. And I'm a younger, taller John Mills. <laughs> and then we've got Seth Barlow over there joining us today for another episode of Acquired Tastings. We are very happy to have you guys along with us on this journey while Dad is still gallivanting away, doing his thing. But I'm very happy to have Seth along with us for this episode. Seth, thanks for coming back. Of course. Always fun. So this week, it is a wine week. So well, I don't know. We haven't had you on any other any other week than a wine week. Yeah, I, I know nothing about beer, and I know only how to get drunk on spirits. So <laughs> Okay, so maybe if we ever have just a, a drunken debauchery episode, we'll have everybody who's ever been a guest come in, and we'll just get shmammered. Absolutely. So this week, like we said, it's a wine week, and we're kind of continuing our uh, green or Irish theme, and we're doing green wines, but we're focusing in on natural wines this week. So Seth, what is your wine that you've brought this week and what snacks do you have to go along with it? Yeah, so I have an interesting little hybrid wine. So this is from Walter Scott Winery up in Oregon, and this is a blend of Chardonnay and apple. Oh, It's a 60-40 split, so 60% Chardonnay wine, and then they added in 40% apple cider. Interesting. I bet that's going to be a great story to hear why that happened. And then what are your snacks this week? A little bit of everything today. So we've got some Italian spec. We've got a double creamed brie. And then we've got some French fries with two different kinds of Chinese-inspired chili crisp sauces. Ooh, that's going to be, that's going to go really well. And this week, I have the Grochu Cellars Skin Contact Pinot Gris. So when you look on the Instagram, Facebook, or TikTok, you'll notice that this wine is actually red, but it's made from grapes that are actually pink-skinned. Normally, it comes out as a white wine, but it's going to be interesting. And then my snacks this week, I got all from a local place called Flyway Brewing. They do some great food down there. I have some duck dumplings. I have a venison goat cheese slider and some pork belly poutine. We're going to have a pretty good episode this week. But Seth, before we begin, I gave you the, the magical blind envelope so you can reveal to us what the blind was last week. So Dave and I went through the blind together. He was listening while I was tasting. And we thought that it was a American Hefeweizen style. So Seth, what was it? Yeah, so that was the Lost 40 day drinker. Oh, they're Belgian blonde. So Dave and I, we, we almost landed we were on, close. we almost landed on a Belgian blonde, but yes, we were, we were close there. So, you know, you knew it was beer and that's better than I could have done. <laughs> I think you could have figured out that it was beer. You know, I think with some of today's wines though, it's a um, little, it's a little tricky, especially coming from the natural wine, like we're talking about, but we digress. So let's go ahead and get into the episode. Seth, why don't we, do you mind starting with yours? Yeah, absolutely. All right, so remind us again what the wine is and then what your snacks are. We'll go get into it. Sure, so this is a hybrid grape and apple cider sort of wine. So 60-40 split comes from Walter Scott Winery up in Oregon. And this was sort of a product of their 2020 vintage. Okay. I know a lot of us were a little busy with a global pandemic at the time, <laughs> but up in Oregon, they were dealing with a pandemic and massive wildfires. Oh, that's right. So they were struggling with smoke taint in a lot of their wines. I don't think they made any Pinot Noir that year because of the smoke taint. And so they kind of just tried on a whim to try blending some Chardonnay with some apple cider. They had, they had already been making apple cider. Apple skins are much thicker, so they weren't really concerned about the smoke that year. Right. Um, so this was just a really fun experiment. And, and I actually got a bottle of this, too, actually, through a wine club that I'm a member of called Viticole. Okay. It's very, very into pushing the boundaries of what we think wine can be. Right. That's Brian McClintock, right? From Psalm? Yes. Okay. 
<laughs> that's what that's what I thought. He he was one of the guys that's featured in the first Psalm film. Yes, he looks a little different. His hair's a little longer. He's really into kind of exploring the whole greater wild world of fermentation in general. Yeah. So other things that we've gotten from that have been sort of more traditional Beaujolais and things from France, but we've also had really cool fruit wines, a really cool um, fruit wine from Sweden that I really love, oh, other really? sort of hybrid grapes. So it's really exploring just kind of what does it mean to even be a wine itself? Yeah, that's pretty cool. And then, so you've got some spec on here. Yeah, I've got some spec, a double cream brie, and then two different kinds of French fries with some little Szechuan chili crisps on them. Cool. Well, this is going to be good. I guess as we're getting into this, so Seth's wine is a, I guess you could say it's kind of a considered a, a standard white wine color. A little bit more golden than you would normally see. A little more hazy. Yeah. And you can definitely tell it's got a little bit of hazy. So when we're talking about natural wine, Seth, let's talk about this for a little bit so kind of people understand. Natural wine is wine where the winemaker or the producer stays away from messing with it, basically, as much as they can. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. It's all about being as low intervention as possible. That means everything from the vineyard, you know, not using herbicides, pesticides, chemicals, and also in the winery, not using color additives, not, you know, adding sugar to get a little higher alcohol, not sort of adding acid, not doing anything at all. Maybe not even using any sort of sulfur, you know, when it comes to bottling. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. So that's why it would, this wine would come out a little bit more hazy. It's because they're not going through the process of fining or filtering the wine. Or if they do, it's very, very minimal just to get some of the stuff out of it. But this is a really, it's a really interesting wine. So you, I get that kind of Normandy cider feel that I've had some Normandy ciders that are on lees that have that yeasty kind of flavor to them, but that nice, sharp acidity that kind of cuts through it. Now, I couldn't tell you that there was Chardonnay, personally. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, I'm getting a little bit of general orchard fruit. So, mm -hmm. of course, that is kind of a hallmark of apple cider. It's also a hallmark of Chardonnay itself. So where is it coming from exactly? I'm not sure I could tell you. What I'm really loving about this so far is the texture. Okay. There's a weightiness here that I think you don't necessarily get with a lot of Chardonnays. Yeah. Or white wines in general. There's also this really lovely... It's not, it's not sparkling. It's just slightly spritzy, yeah. almost kind of like a vino verde. Yeah. And I, I really love that texturally. It's really interesting. Yeah. It kind of wakens your tongue up to everything that's going on. And like you, like you said, you get a lot of that like orchard fruit. So apples, pears, almost even some peaches going on in there. And then I also get a little bit of a lemony bite to it. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure if that's just how the acidity is presenting itself. Yeah, that I'm that I'm seeing, but it's it's fun. It's fresh on the mouth. It's not not real weighty. It does have that texture like you talked about, but it's really kind of light. So it does kind of almost like bounce off your palate. There's a really interesting minerality here. Okay. So I'm getting not just sort of like wet river rock, which I think is another sort of very typical thing you might find in in Chardonnay, but it's it's actually quite salty. Yeah, almost in the way that you might expect from something like. And Albarino mm -hmm. um, from northern Spain, which I know they're also starting to grow in, in Oregon. Um, oh, but really, it's just sort of unexpected. There is a little bit of that like funkiness here that you get with a lot of natural wines. Not yeah. all of them. It's not a, not a blatant statement, but um, that's kind of a tell for me. You know, you get some of that little. I want to. I want to call it barnyardiness, but there's just a little like dankness to it. Yeah, I think dankness is a good word to describe that. You know, it's just that outdoor fresh kind of smell mm -hmm. that you get on there and even kind of a little bit of a taste but it's not to the level of where it would be a fault in the wine 
like there was a problem with the wine. It's almost just a characteristic of kind of what this does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, as I'm, we both kind of said we we're not getting a ton of like telltale Chardonnay notes, right? Until I tried this with the Brie. For me, there's something about the way that Chardonnays work with Brie, and then that's even sparkling Chardonnays. If I'm drinking a Cremant or a Champagne, there's just something about that pairing that is instantly obvious after I've after I've had it had them together, and I'm that is screaming out to me. There's just sort of a the way it affects the cheese in my mouth is really sort of honing in on that sixty. Chardonnay. So what is that? Because I'm kind of getting there too as I'm going through it. You know the the weight of the cheese like coating the mouth, and then the the wine coming in on it. You kind of get a little bit lessening of that really acidic tartness. Was that kind of what you're talking about? Is that telltale or? It's not even so much that. It's it's just kind of a change in the flavor. Very similar to how you know goat cheese changes when we drink it with Sauvignon Blanc. Okay. This to me, the cheese really kind of mellows out. It changes a lot on the mid palate. It has this sort of like waves of like yellow, creamy fruitiness that to me is always kind of an, a really obvious tell that I'm like, oh, I'm drinking Chardonnay with Brie. It's just something I learned to expect now. Okay. Now, so you said you got this through a wine club, right? Correct. Yes. Is that kind of how you experience most of your natural wine right now? At least in at least in our state. In yeah. Arkansas. You know, in Arkansas, we're very very slowly kind of waking up to the natural wine trend mm-hmm. um, or the natural wine movement. So I know up in Northwest Arkansas, there's now a natural wine shop dedicated oh. to natural wine. So it's opened by the folks who own Onyx Coffee. Okay. Very cool, very trendy. There's also a really fantastic wine bar called Mavis, which is really focused on natural wines as well in downtown Rogers, I believe. So I think we're we're getting there. Mm-hmm. Now that there's more demand for these products, they're starting to come in. But I think we also have to remember that natural wine is not a new phenomenon. People have been making natural wine for thousands of years. Right. I mean, the original wine was natural wine, I guess you could say. Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of the wineries that I know you and I both love, I would also consider them natural. You know, for example, Ridge Vineyards in California, they are very clear on the back of their labels everything that happens to the wine they put any sort of steps they undergo in that winemaking process back there so you know that nothing is going in it and yeah. then i would definitely include say richard only you know some of the founding fathers of that winery some of the founding fathers of the modern natural wine movement yeah because yours is from oregon you know mine's from oregon as well so would you say at least in the american market it's kind of you find it a lot on the in kind of your oregon and some of your more i guess you could say naturally driven areas even when it comes to like food and just culture in general well yes with the asterisk of you also find wine in those places right you know right i think what's really interesting to me just from looking at the economic side of the industry is natural wine is often cheaper okay to produce you know you're not having to do all this extra stuff to the wine you're not having to do the stuff to the vineyard and so i'm seeing a lot of young winemakers kind of break into the industry by making their own natural wine. I think that's really exciting. It's kind of really opened up being a winemaker to a whole new generation of people who maybe otherwise would have had to kind of go a more traditional route. Maybe they have to go to UC Davis, get an internship, some big Napa property, and then they kind of, you know, end up making whatever red wine that has 100 parts per million of mega purple in it. And now they don't have to do that. Yeah. So do you kind of think it's like a a swing, kind of like a, a swing back from interventionist wine and now we're swinging back toward the more natural wines because we have a long time. And I mean, we've, you and I have, you know, talked about certain, there are certain brands that are on every grocery shelf, every liquor store shelf that 
they do more to the wine than is actually in the wine. Yeah. To make it what they need it to be to sell it as cheaply as they do and have some sort of semblance of natural flavor. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we're, we've all at some point in our wine journey drunk those, you know, magnums of wine that cost about $6 and probably have an animal on the front and yeah. we woke up the next day with a headache that wouldn't go away for a month. And, and then in a way, I think this is kind of a response to that. But I also think it's just in general, I think people or modern society is so connected. It's so, you know, artificial. Social media allows us to kind of project whatever we want out there. So people are really looking for that authentic experience. They want something that is authentic to the land, authentic to the fruit, authentic to the the person who made it. And I think you can really get that connection through natural wine. Yeah. I kind of see this almost as like, this is going to be a terrible analogy when it comes to what's happening in culture. But this is kind of like van life movement kind of stuff. Really getting back to being super minimalist. I don't really need a whole lot to, to enjoy my life. And I'm going to focus on the things that make me happy and that can produce what I need to. Yeah, I I think you're kind of hitting the the nail on the head. I think they are just as people, you know, we we're ready to, you know, put down our phones and have those really authentic, engaging experiences and natural wine kind of allows you to. And the fact that, you know, if you go into a natural wine shop, you're going to see a lot of fun, bright colored labels. You're going to see really very descriptive labels. It's going to tell you exactly what's in the bottle on the label. And that's really different if you're used to drinking French wine where it says the name of some random town and some tiny script on the label that you don't know how to read. Yeah. Or the name of some person. Yeah. It's, 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 it's much more engaging and inviting to the novice wine drinker, I think. Yeah. That goes really well with the spec too. Yeah. I said the spec. The spec is a pork product. It's usually made from a little bit more of the front shoulders rather than the back shoulders. It's a little bit spicier, so I think that like extra peppery edge kind of brings up the wine a little bit and adds some more of that, some more of that liveliness onto the palate. But the fattiness kind of draws back, like the brie did as well. So you get a kind of nice contrast between kind of how that was. Have you had the spec yet, or I have, and and you know I think that you're kind of onto something. There's there's a little subtle spiciness to the spec, and I think that this wine really is leaning into that there may be a slight amount of of sugar in the wine i'm not sure but i think the wine also pairs really well with both of the chili crisps on the french fries okay they're both very very different sauces but it kind of leans into the spiciness of it and it kind of elevates it i wouldn't even say that it really tones it down the way like a moscato or a riesling would right but it, it kind of just lifts it and almost mellows it out just a little bit differently okay i'm gonna let you eat a little bit and I'll, I'll chat for a little bit because i know you've been doing a, a lot of the talking My kind of first forays into seeing natural wine were while I, while I've traveled mostly, you know, when I've gone out to California and some of those other places, and even when I've gone to France a couple of times, you start to realize that there are people who hang their hat on leaving the wine alone. Like they really just say, you know what? I'm the guide of this wine. The wine is doing everything itself. Like I may still inoculate with yeast. I may not do just a whole spontaneous fermentation because I know my area and I'm not able to do it well enough or the great in the juice that I'm getting. But everything after that, I'm I'm only doing what I have to to make sure it can be on the shelf well. I'm not trying to make it into something. And I think those wines for me, a lot of the time are where I find the kind of the understanding of terroir more than some other wine. Because it's really left to what's happening. Like the story behind this wine. You know, the only reason that they did this was because of something terrible that happened. 
And so they're like, okay, well, we've already got this cider that we're going to make anyway. Let's see what we can do with it. And let's see, we believe that this is going to work together because ciders and I guess super dry style Chardonnays have a lot of the same kind of characteristics of that dry acidic apple and some of those mallow kind of flavors going through it. And it's really interesting to see that they decided just to lean into it and say, you know what, it's been a shitty year and we're going to, we're, but we're still going to produce something that we're proud of and put it out there for you. Yeah, I think it's that spirit of exploration that really permeates everything about natural wine. Mm-hmm. And, and I think also, you know, things like this, this sort of like hybrid concept, and I will say the wine itself is called Juicy Lucy. Um, I just noticed that <laughs> on, the, on the bottle. You know, that allows wineries to be financially stable in a growing season where otherwise they, they may not. They may, you know, they lost all of their crop to, you know, a fire and smoke taint. You know, this allows them at least a way to make some sort of passive income. Same right. with um, uh, piquettes. I don't know if you ever featured a piquette on the podcast, but... We haven't yet. That's where you take, essentially, the leftover, like, grape skins and mush from, from pressed juice or from pressed grapes, and you re-ferment it again with some water, and you have this nice little spritzy sort of low-alcohol wine. It's a great way to make more money for a, for a young winery. Right. And it's much more sustainable. You're not just throwing that stuff out. You're giving it a second life before it goes into your compost bin. Right. And I think it's also very interesting for winemakers to choose that rather than selling to somebody who's a super intervention, you know, because a lot of times those places that do big bulk wine, like we've talked about before, they, they don't grow their grapes. They buy them from other people or they buy them from people who've had hard years because, you know, a place like that that does a whole lot to their wine, there are chemicals where you can remove smoke taint. And you can mask that and you can get the flavors that you want. So they're, they could do that. But I like that they, kind of like you said, they chose to kind of see what they could do with it rather than you know, selling it to somebody who, may, who they may not like to have their juice. Oh, and, you know, I think it's interesting that we both chose very, very similar in style natural wines from Oregon. But natural wine is every, everywhere in the world you're going to find a natural wine producer. Um, yeah. There are so many different styles. You're going to find natural wine producers making big, bold tannic reds. You're going to find them making these hybrid wines. You're going to make them. You're going to find them making like beautiful little quaffing rosés. Yeah, it's everything. And I, I think we, we kind of have to just keep in mind that natural wine is isn't necessarily new. We're just thinking about it in new ways. And anytime we can challenge, you know, our our ideas about wine, I think doing the right work. Yeah. Back to our food on the table. Can you? talk about these toppings on these fries because they are so good and i'm absolutely fascinated by them yeah back in december i was getting bombarded with social media ads for a company called fly by jing and they were jing like Mm j-i-n-g correct and they were founded by someone of chinese heritage who was really trying to just make really great szechuan chili crisp sauce and i was like oh well i'll i'll get this as a christmas present for my boyfriend so i i ordered him one and I think we devoured it in like two days. We put it on <laughs> literally everything. French fries, salmon, I mean, ice cream. Like it, 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 it's fantastic it, on anything. And so that is that is this, this one, which I had to say is probably my favorite of the two with the Chardonnay. Okay. It's not necessarily very spicy hot. It's very earthy in a way. Mm-hmm. Definitely some like Chinese five spice in there. It's more like peppercorn spice rather than chili heat spice. Yeah, that's a great way to describe it. And so what, what's that one called? That's just called their Szechuan Chili Crisp. Okay. Then the second one, just sort of a little more orangey. It's a little more sweet, yet also somehow a little more savory. Yeah. It's almost marmalade-like. 
and texture. That's called their Zhang sauce. It's really interesting. It does have a little more actual chili heat to it, I think. I just had a, a feeling that they would both work really well on French fries, yeah. which they definitely do. And then, honestly, it was just a gamble to, <laughs> to see if these would work with, uh, yeah. work with the wine. I just wanted to eat the yeah. sauce on fries. So I know you haven't had a chance to listen to this yet because we're recording this episode before my episode with Dave comes out. So I'm going to give you a little bit of backstory. So the last episode we did that my friend Dave and I did, we basically talked the entire time about why the hell pairings work and how do you figure out what to do? And this is a perfect example. Like you had an idea of, I think this little bit of spiciness, I think it's going to go well on fries, but that saltiness, and I know that salt, that saltiness was going to go well, and that fryness is going to go well with the Chardonnay. So you know what? I'm just going to, going to try and figure it out. Yeah. Well, you know, for me, it kind of started with the idea of champagne. That's obviously yeah. not what we're drinking, but Chardonnay, of course, is, is a key part of champagne. And yep. I knew the wine was going to be slightly spritzy, mm-hmm. not, not fully carbonated or anything. And I was like, well, champagne and French fries is fantastic. So could this work? And then I was like, in my experience, there with a lot of like cider and beers, there's especially like a sour beers, there's a little bit of RS to it. So you can go with something a little spicier. Yep. And and honestly, we got new jars of sauce in the mail <laughs> on Thursday. And I really wanted to eat them. Like, you know what? This is my perfect excuse it, mm-hmm. to eat these. And when Dustin comes home, he's getting ready for a marathon tomorrow. He may, you know, have some extra little yeah. carb starts that he I, I will say, while I'm really loving the fries, I actually think maybe my favorite pairing with the Chardonnay mm-hmm. is actually one of yours. Really? These so what little, did you try? It's these little potstickers you brought. Okay. There's just a little ginger in them mm-hmm. that really works well with the Chardonnay. To me, it makes the wine really more Chardonnay-y. It really brings out that 6% of Chardonnay in a really nice way. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so those duck dumplings are really good with that wine. You're right. It's that, like... It's that almost like ginger heat, that ginger sweet heat. Mm-hmm. It's almost like whatever's in the duck dumpling, like you find that in the wine. And it just kind of just makes it go up. Like mm-hmm. it's that, it's almost like a ginger lemongrass kind of flavor. Man, I'm glad you tried that. I wasn't even, I wasn't even thinking about that. I was focusing on these fries because they are really good. Yeah, I should have made more. <laughs> yeah, I think we're going to munch for those. And... There's more in the sweet. <laughs> you know, I think those sauces would also be really good on like good popcorn. A good stovetop popcorn. It may like, you know, make them soggy a little bit, but, or even just like some of the oils that are in the containers rather Mm -hmm. than like the actual chunks of spice would be really interesting on popcorn. And if you do your fried chicken and champagne party again, I think these need to make an appearance. I think we can make that happen. Yeah. Yeah. I think, and in general, you know, one of my, my big frustrations when we talk about wine pairings, we just say, oh, well, this would be good for Asian food. Right. That does a, a disservice to, well, first of all, it's just racist. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, but it also just ignores the millennia of complex cuisine and cultural history that the Asian continent has to offer. And so when you kind of dig into these Asian cuisines and things, you can find some really incredible pairings that I don't feel like as a wine community we're talking about enough. I, I totally agree with that fact. And I, I love to find those pairings that would work well with because it's so nuanced like you talked about like we just talked like we talk about asian food as if the entire you know hemisphere tastes the same but japanese food completely differs from chinese food and even in in china food from szechuan differs from food that comes from the hunan province which Mm -hmm. is i mean i'm 
if I'm remembering kind of my, my geography right. Those are really close together, but the flavors are so different. And, you know, we don't really live in a place where we get a whole lot of diversity in our Asian food. We have more than a lot of places, and it's actually kind of hidden. We've got some really good Asian food around here. But I think, I think we as a wine community could do better when it comes to that. Because it's like saying like this would go with Asian food is like saying, well, this, would, this goes with European food. Yeah, you know, and, and I think that's actually a great example. You know, if you think about Italy, the difference in food between Piedmont and Tuscany <laughs> yeah. could not be more different. Yeah. And you would never just say Italian food. No, no one would ever say that in its industry. Right. So why do we say that about all of Asia, a continent of, I don't even know, four, six, seven, people. eight, twelve billion people? <laughs> yeah. Because I mean, it's, it's so nuanced. Like, you know, you just talked about Italy and you talked about, you know, regions that are really far apart. And you could even say the, the food from Tuscany is not the same as the, mo- the food from Emilia-Romagna, which they, they neighbor, they literally neighbor each other. So, like, food from Parma is going to be different than food from Florence. They're gonna, they'll have similarities because they do have similar agriculture, but the food still, the food styling is very different. Mm-hmm. So, I agree with you. I think we need to do better at that, and I think we also need to do better just as a community highlighting what works with Asian food. I'm, I'm really happy we have basically three kind of Asian-style dishes here for us to taste, and I'm really excited. Especially that poutine. Poutine is a very classic, oh traditionally Asian dish. It's totally Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But this is really good. So Walter Scott, they're in Oregon, right? Mm-hmm. There's this uh, Eola, Amity, Eola Amity Hills. Okay, so that would be for those of us who don't know all the subregions. That's in the Willamette, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. It's in the more northern Willamette? Yeah, it's right? more the northern half. If you go to Portland, you could easily get there. Oh, yeah, you get there in an hour, hour, hour and a half, maybe. Have you ever been out there? Uh, I have once, and I was there for all of about two days. Mm-hmm. I, was, I was on the back of a trip to Walla Walla, Washington, which Walla Walla is not <laughs> close to Portland. It's not. But it was so much cheaper to fly out of Portland. So it, it worked out. It was, it was fantastic two days, and um, it's definitely at the top of my to-visit-again list. How was Walla Walla? So here's maybe a hot take. Okay. I would say that Walla Walla is probably, for me, it is probably the most exciting or one of the top two most exciting wine regions in America for me right now. Uh, I can totally agree with that. There's specifically, it's, it's you know, Walla Walla is, is technically in Washington, just across the border in Oregon. It's maybe five miles from downtown. There's an AVA called the Rocks of Milton Free Water, and it is incredibly gravelly, lots of stones. You, you might look at it and think you're in, say, the Rhone, but sure. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, yeah, <laughs> I mean very, very, very similar. Very, very similar. And truly, there are some of the best, most interesting, full-bodied tannic reds coming out of those vineyards in, I think, the entire country. Yeah. I really love Red Mountains right around. It's outside of Walla Walla a little bit. but It's it's a little more in the central part of the state, sort of near Yakima. So it's maybe oh, a, right. two, it's a two, two and a half hour drive. Cayuse is out of Walla Walla. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they do a lot. In that Rocks of Milton Free Water uh, area, Slide of Hand would be another one. Yeah, Savaya Cellars. Um, What's the one that starts with G? Um, it's not Gunlock Bunchu, but they have like chess pieces on there. Gramercy Cellars. Oh yeah, are they out of Walla Walla? Mm-hmm. They're yeah. another. They're another really good one. Mm-hmm. Now we're just talking about places we want, <laughs> we want to go. I really, I'm really interested in the in the natural wine movement because, like you mentioned, there are a lot of places that do natural wine. That they may not market it because they're just like, this is what we do. But also, there are so many places that do organic wine. Mm-hmm. 
and a lot of natural wine may be organic, but it doesn't have that wonderful little seal because that seal costs so much freaking money. Yeah, and I think you're seeing a lot of different wine-growing regions kind of come up with their own rules and seals and things, you know? Yeah. I know in the Napa Valley, you can look at the back of a bottle and it will say Napa Valley Sustainable, Napa Valley Green. You know, I know Sonoma County has put in some rules that, you know, all new vineyards have to be, you know, farmed with sustainable and organic practices. A lot of salmon-safe farming goes on. Yeah. We're starting to see, even here in Arkansas, you're starting to see wine shops put signifiers on, on the bottles about how it was farmed. Yeah. If that's happening in Arkansas, you know it's happening everywhere else. Exactly. Which is we, really positive to see. We are we're very far behind the curve. I think we've almost drank that entire bottle of Walter Scott. So I'm I think it's about I think it's time to move on to my wine. So once again, my wine is the I'm gonna say Grouchu. Am I saying that right? I've always said Grishow. Grishow. Okay. But we'll we'll, we'll finesse it. The Grishow Cellars. And this is the Eteric Wine Shop Skin Contact Pinot Gris from 2019. And I'm really excited about this because I really enjoy Pinot Gris and Gertzmeners who are more, the grapes themselves are actually pink skinned and you get some really good flavors off of them. So I'm really excited to talk about this. My pairings for everybody out there are duck dumplings. I have some venison goat cheese sliders and then I have uh, barbecue pork belly poutine. And if for some reason, you don't know what poutine is. Poutine is French fries with cheese curds covered in brown gravy. It's, with a big slice of pork belly and, on top. Yeah, and these, you know, you can see on the pictures on, on social media that they have these big slices of pork belly on top. And I'm very excited about that. When you hear Pinot Gris, you may think, oh, Josh, you've just gone way too heavy on your pairings here. But with the skin contact, I think these are going to hold up and be, and be pretty beautiful. Like this wine. This wine is a beautiful rich almost like cherry red color and I, I couldn't find about how long they've they've laid on the skin contact so something else i really love that they call this a skin contact you know gris rather than a rosé mm-hmm. because i think they took it beyond a little bit beyond a rosé personally yeah and i, I think in someone who's listening to this who knows more about italian one may may correct me i think in italy a skin contact you know gris would then produce what they would call a rumato Okay. Um, which is kind of that like lusciously pink version of Pinot Gris. Yeah. Yeah. Man, but this has all the trappings of, to me, what makes a good rosé. It's slightly bitter. It's acidic. It's got good light fruit po- profile behind it. It has some really good floral characteristics as well, which is one of the things I love about Pinot Gris, personally, is you get some of that great, that great big flavor and that great floral behind it and, and we've talked about this before but you know i love gehertzmeter i love those really big nice floral whites that have good weight on this and this brings a really good weight to it and i think it's not only because just the grape itself but i think it's really that skin contact that adds some of that kind of like almost tannicness mm-hmm. that brings that weight because this is only 12.8 by alcohol yeah. so it's not an alcohol weight which sometimes for pinot gris is what carries that weight into it, is that alcohol. Yeah, I mean, we've all had the, the Pinot Gris, or more likely a Pinot Grigio, that is really just like, you know, it's, it's a lemon water with a shot of vodka in it. <laughs> yeah, we cold, all, wet, and alcoholic. Yes, we've all, we've all been there, and, it's, and that's fine. And, and there's a good percentage of the, of the wine drinkers in the world that really like that. 
So judgment free zone. Exactly. But this is better. This is better. But and, and I would say for people who like Pinot Grigio, try this. But no, going into it, it's going to be a little bit drier than you're wanting it. But if you can get past that dryness or put some food with it that's got some fat, that's going to help cover that dryness for it. I think I think you're going to really enjoy the flavors behind it because I mean this to me, this to me could just pair with air. Like I could just drink this on on the porch swing in the middle of summer and just have a good old time with it. Yeah, I mean this to me is really just begging for. A pool and a cabana boy. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's just, it's that nice light. It's, it's got so much flavor to it. I didn't, ex- I honestly didn't expect it to have this much flavor to it. Just thinking about what it was. But these guys, I, I really enjoy them. The first wine I ever had for them was their Gamay Noir. And they actually took that Gamay and they won an international competition for non-Beaujolais Gamay Noir. Mm-hmm. And it's really, really good. A lot of times you'll see this if you're if you're walking through your liquor store, you may have seen some wines from Oregon that have a bicycle on them. These are the same guys, but this is kind of more focused on their being that natural, low intervention, low intervention style wine. Because these, the owner of this place started racing bicycles, so he he kind of started there, and then, like we've talked about before, a lot of French winemakers. Started looking for some land in this cheap country called America, and they found very similar soil types. They found a lot of similar stuff in Oregon, and they're like, "Ooh, we're gonna go ahead and take that." Mm-hmm. And then they also liked what the American winemakers were doing because a lot of the American winemakers are low interventionists when it comes to Oregon mm-hmm. initially. A lot of the initial guys, like Ad- Ad- Adelsheim, I think that's how you say it. Can't remember his Adelsheim or Adelsheim. He, him, Argyle. Oh, what's the other one? King Estate, maybe. No, it's got the it's got the bird on the right. Oh, uh, Alexander Rivana. Erie. Oh, Erie. And you know, Erie was one another one of those early pir- pioneers out there in Oregon. They were actually the first to plant Pinot Gris, and I and I think Pinot Noir in in Oregon. I don't know if they were the Pinot Noir, but I, okay. I think they were right behind Adelsheim and some of the other guys okay. that are, that were out there. I've I've had some of the wines made from Pinot Gris from the original vines. Mm. Um, those are very interesting. Yeah, Erie does a really good job with this. Like, they actually, when I had them on the episode, they actually like reached out to me on social media and was like, "Hey, we really like this, but this and this and this." And I was like, "Oh, this is awesome! Thank you." And then I could tell they actually like sat down and listened to the episode, which was really cool. But this wine, I, I'm digging this. I don't know about you. Yeah, it just it's so kind of heady and and so much more aromatic um, than I was kind of expecting, and and especially can compared to the Walter Scott, which is very sort of stately and a little not very in your face. This is a lot more boisterous. To me, it's got this like this raspberry compote note. There's a note of I don't know if you've ever had like like the bag the cotton candy comes in that you'd get at like the fair or something. Okay. Not the, the cotton candy bag. itself, but yeah. Gotta be the red. Yeah. It, it would just be like not the cotton candy itself, but you sniff the bag afterwards or almost a little bit of like Lucky Charms marshmallow. It's not sweet, but there is just this sweet character to the fruit. And mm. and for me that's just a general quality of Oregon wines, yeah. um, especially Pinot Noir. There's just this, this unctuous sweetness to the fruit. Yeah. That's always really sort of signature. It kind of reminds me of like, I guess if I was going through my blind notes on this one, I would, I would say that it has like a dried cherry note to it, but it's not like, it's not a normal cherry. It's definitely a Northwest kind of cherry. 
Yeah, what is, is it? Rain, is it rainier like cherry? Like a rainier cherry or a choke cherry. It's very specific. It's not just like your normal or like a Bing cherry, but a dried Bing cherry mm-hmm. because it has that sweetness, but it also has that dry, that like kind of dry astringentness that you want. And man, this is, I'm going to have to go buy more. This ran like 20, I think $22 a bottle. Yeah, that's a great, great which deal. Which is a great price, which like you said, you know, natural wine being less intervention, you know, they're not pouring extra money into it when it comes to the production of it so they can they can run their wines a little bit more cost effective mm-hmm. and you know grishau cellars one of those really cool newfangled oregon wineries that's making albarino oh, i've not seen any i haven't seen it either i've not seen it in arkansas grishau cellars if you're listening you can you can find out where to send that do you know who distributes them around here well that's denux that's denux okay so uh brett come on <laughs> yeah you know where we live. You know where we live. We know you. <laughs> I have social media out there. We're acquired tastings out there on the social medias. But man, this, I had a, I, so I haven't had a whole lot of food yet, but I had it with a duck dumpling and it works really well because the unctuousness of duck and the, the fried, cause these are, these are deep fried dumplings. Welcome to the South. Those of you who don't listen to us from the South, these are deep fried dumplings. And, but that, that crispy extra unctuousness of the duck and the meat go really well. But I I think the duck goes better with the Walter Scott. The dumplings go better with the Walter Scott. I, than, I agree. Than this. It's not bad. It's just there's so much going on in the wine. It kind of takes over that delicate, lighter lighter flavors that are in the duck. But I think the speck works better with the Grishau than, than the Walter Scott. I think the venison is going to go well. Cause, so these, these uh, venison goat cheese sliders... They're venison patty. They have goat cheese on them. And then they have a blueberry reduction that is not only just blueberry, but Flyway, the place we got this from, they use their blue wing beer in the reduction to kind of create almost blueberry barbecue sauce. Kind of goes along with it. And if you're not from the South, their blueberry beer is, it's, it's oh the God, so fruit good. beer of the state. It is, yes. If you can find blue wing from Flyway, Get it and try it because it is honestly one of the best. Like Seth said, it's one of the best fruit beers we have in the state. I would, I would wholeheartedly say. No, you know, I, I gotta say, I was just trying this with both of the French fries. Mm-hmm. The Walter Scott for me really, really worked with the Szechuan chili crisp. But that Jean sauce, yeah, the sort of oranger one, more orange one. Man, that is, it's like it's built for for this. It's, really, it's really singing. That's awesome. Maybe we'll send a send a can of this to the grocery store. Yeah. Care of Seth and Josh for for your next for your next in exchange for some Albarino. Yes, we for Albarino at least one bottle of Albarino each. Mm -hmm. Seth and I both just ate the slider. No, you can tell when it gets quiet that things are happening. That there is definitely food going on. Seth and I are both really big food people, and we love. I don't know about you, but I I love the pairing aspect of especially wine. I just love that. You know, I. I actually have very mixed feelings about wine and food pairings. I think that there are some like moments of brilliance. Right. But I think just by and large, a lot of Psalms today get bogged down in it. Okay. You know, I, I think that, I, I don't know. I think finding pairings is very much a skill, kind of like blind tastings. Like you can practice it, but at the end of the day, if you something you were kind of just almost born with, like you're either going to be a great blind taster or you're not. And no <laughs> amount of practice is going to change that. He <laughs> looks at me like, you just don't have it. <laughs> well, you know. I mean, I can learn the skill, but I, I was definitely not born with the skill of blind. I, I, I was not either, to be clear. But I do think that, like, 
if there is one aspect of, of the wine industry that I am really good at, it is sort of finding those pairings. And I, but I, at the end of the day, like, I think as long as, as long as you're enjoying the food, you're enjoying the wine and they aren't terrible together, you found a pairing that works. Right. I know so many, so many customers that I would help. Even now, you know, I have, I have readers who will write in saying, oh, well, I've got this dinner party to host. I'm cooking X, Y, Z this way. What do I do? And, and I just want to, you know, tell them, like, first of all, it really doesn't matter that yeah. much. Um, it's more about avoiding the wrong pairing than it is finding the, the perfect pairing. Right. So I'm, I'm excited for you to listen to next week's episode when it comes out. Because Dave and I had a really good conversation about that. It's like, listen, there are ways that you can do it. But there are some times that eat what you like, drink what you like is really the best pairing for anything going on. Now, I also think that there are ways in which you can enhance particular things. Mm-hmm. Totally. But the, I think the thing that you and I have done when it comes to pairings that is what helps us to be great pairers is you have to listen to the person across from you. Like I would always ask my customer, my, you know, my, my table, what do you like? What do you like to drink? Because this a perfect example, in my opinion, the Walter Scott. There are so many people that unless you know that they like that kind of stuff, you could put that Walter Scott down in front of him with a perfect pairing. And they would be like, this is disgusting. Like people have tried to pair Chardonnay with me. And I'm like, listen, I, I, I appreciate the offer, but I don't, I'm not going to like it because I don't like that. I am one of those people to be, <laughs> to be clear. Seth is the person, the main person in my life that keeps throwing Chardonnay in front of me. Example. And this was Zeke. great. This was great. And I think it was because of the way they, the way they chose to do it. But that's not Chardonnay. It is 60% Chardonnay. But that's more Normandy cider in my opinion. Our listeners can't hear that my eyes just eyes. rolled out of my skull. But okay. <laughs> they rolled out. They rolled back. They rolled to the back door. They rolled, they rolled back into his head. But that is not a typical line of Chardonnay. Honestly. When you brought a vinegar cider, cider, so that's actually yeah, and that was the thing is like so I had already bought the wine before I bought the food, and I was like, okay, I think that's gonna have enough weight to carry everything in this dumpling, and that's why I was like, you know what, I'll give this a try. First yep. time I've ever bought this, by the way. They used to have those duck nachos. That's Do they still? Great. They still have the duck. Oh, they nachos. still have. Them. <laughs> They're still there. Yeah, the duck dumplings are new, but the duck nachos are still. There. I didn't want to do two duck because, you know, hmm. even though I love duck. You know, actually, a, a thing that this, this Pinot Gris kind of makes me think of, it's not at Flyway, it's at um, Brood and Barley. They're sort of like sister restaurant. Yeah. They have these really fantastic Philly cheesesteaks. I almost got a, I almost, so I'm, I'm serious. I'm, so I'm sitting there, Jordan and I are hanging out at, at Flyway because I knew I was going to get the duck dumplings. And I leaned over to her and I said, I think I'm going to get a cheesesteak. From Brood. And then I looked at my watch and I was like, I don't have enough time. But I honestly, so back to the pairings, I, I honestly thought about getting their cheesesteak. But I agree, after tasting this wine, this cheesesteak would be amazing. This. Yeah. Because it's, it, even though it's a Pinot Gris, it's got that body. It's uh-huh. got that texture. It's got the, all those flavors that go along with it. And I think back to what we were talking about when it comes to the pairings is, I mean, I, I knew who I was pairing for. Mm-hmm. I knew who I was pairing sure. with. I knew Seth is going to enjoy almost all the food I'm putting in front of him and the wine. So I didn't have to worry about my person across the table. I think when it comes to pairings, like that's your first question is who am I pairing for? Mm-hmm. Am I pairing for somebody who enjoys whatever I put in front of them, food or wine wise, 
or are there particular nuances to what to what they like that I need to pay attention to? And I think that's part of like we t- like Dave and I talked about. I think that's part of the formula for when you're trying to figure out if you're trying to do something big and fancy. But if not, hell, buy something and try it. Yeah. If you don't like it, you don't like it. You know, and I think I think that's really smart when you say you have to think about who is enjoying the pairing. Right. You know, that's something I have to I think about a lot in my columns. You know, each week I'm like, okay, well, is the average newspaper reader in Arkansas going to kind of understand the science of salinity in wine? Mm-hmm. Probably not. I barely understand that science. <laughs> so it, so it, I kind of have to think about, well, how do I present this information to them in a way that's digestible and then actionable? And I think, I think it's really smart to, to, to think about your pairings in the same way. Right. And that's the, that's the whole magic, I guess you could say, of food and wine pairing is when you, when you have it, there are so many different ways that it can happen. You have, you know, we've talked about, it. you have like-like pairings, you have contrast pairings, you have, I mean, even if you listened to the episode last week, hopefully you didn't skip through the part where Dave and I, I, I try to describe to Dave how food and wine pairings work in color theory because Dave's a graphic artist. And I was like, you have to think about like how all that works and but the biggest thing is the person that you're going to be with. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what, what is their palette going to show you? And what is their palette going to like and not like? Because it doesn't, it doesn't matter. I could say that, like we just talked about, this wine and the venison goat cheese slider go super well together. But if you have somebody that comes into the things and says, ooh, I'm not going to like venison. Again, I am this person. <laughs> I was not excited about bust, this. I wasn't going to bust you out, but... Comes in and says, "Oh, I'm not gonna like venison." And they take one bite of that. They take one bite of that slider, and they think, "Oh my god, venison!" And it's, it's just gross. No matter what wine you put with this thing. To be clear, I like the venison slider. <laughs> I would say this is definitely some of the best venison I've had. And this, so this pairing works to me because of that blueberry, mm-hmm. that little, that extra blueberry reduction. It's, a, it's just in there. a tinge of fruitiness. Yes, and that, I think that's what makes it work with the Zhang sauce. Okay, because that that chili heat does have. A fruity character, mm-hmm. whereas the other is it's much more savory. I think that's kind of why it, it it works really well. There's a little note of fruitiness that this really has. Mm-hmm. Now, have you had the poutine with it yet? I have, and I think I may have liked the poutine better with the Walter Scott. I think it's the spritziness okay. with that gravy to me it just works. Yeah, because you know poutine, like like you said, poutine can be really heavy because there's a lot going on. You've got the cheese, you've got the gravy, saltiness of the fries. And sometimes you need that saltiness to just match up. Although I need to try it with the, with the pork belly itself. Because mm-hmm. what, what doesn't go with pork belly? <sighs> that, that, is a, that is a true statement. Pork belly and bacon, you know, the two everythings, unless you're vegetarian. This is why I love when we taste together. Because we just start, like, it doesn't matter what we initially, what we both brought. We just start trying everything. We, I think, we have, I, you know, I've listened to the podcast for a while now. I think that you and I tend to have some of the most diverse pairing options on our episodes. Yeah. We've done Mexican or Indian food before. And Mexican. And Mexican food. I mean, just, yeah, we, we, we're onto something whole, here. I think I did a whole roasted duck once. Oh, maybe I mean, it worked out. Maybe we just need to do a whole Seth and Josh side. I would, I would sign up for that. I would subscribe. <laughs> I would hope so you're on it <laughs> I, yeah you, you go first i i think the walter scott wins with the poutine yeah i yeah it's got it's it's the salinity and the the acid that acid that just runs through all that fattiness of the the cheese and the poutine or the cheese and the gravy and the 
in the pork belly. I think I think that kind of just sends it home. Yeah, I, I'm right there with you. It's all good, but yeah, the Walter Scott, it's just it's the acidity, it's it's the, the carbonation, the slight amount of carbonation. It's just spritzy enough to really cut through everything. Yeah. All right. So let's uh I think we're kinda getting down to it here. What have been your favorite I guess you could say, what's been your favorite pairings for your wine and your food, my wine and my food, and then we'll just do overall. Okay. My wine, so the Walter Scott, I would have to say it's the it's the Walter Scott with the Fly by Jing Sichuan Chili Crisp. Okay. That is, to me, a, a grade A pairing. Okay. I'm going to agree with you there, but for me, so I'm a wuss when it comes to any kind of like heat. Sichuan peppers kind of carry that heatness. So for me, I couldn't eat a whole bunch of it together, but I think the spec works really, really well with that Walter Scott. Yeah. Because it's that light pepperiness plus the saltiness and the fattiness just kind of carries everything through together. And that kind of made my favorite of your initial pairing. Okay. All right, what about with mine? So I would say with the with the Groschau Pinot Gris, yeah, I got to say that venison slider with that mm-hmm. blueberry reduction, I, who would who would have thought? Who would have? I'm, I'm going to totally agree with you there that the goat cheese that bring that acidity, the wine didn't have a whole lot of acidity. It had, it had a good amount, but it didn't have a, a ton of it. That goat cheese bringing that acidity, but then that blueberry just connecting it all together with the spiciness. With the with the spice they did in the venison, it was just fantastic. Yeah, you did a good job. It's like you know what you're talking about. You know, I sometimes I shoot in the dark and I hit the target. Tell you what, you should start a podcast. <laughs> you know what? It would be a great idea to start a podcast. I would, about I would listen pairing. to that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. What about overall? What was I mean? Because you've tried almost everything with everything. What has been your favorite thing that you would go back to time and time again? So I would say I'm going to have, have a slightly, slightly a cheater answer because okay. I have one that I think is actually a better pairing and one that I personally preferred more. Okay. The pairing that I actually think is the best on the table is the Walter Scott Chardonnay with these deep fried dumplings. Yeah. I think that is like just if you were getting some, you know, quartermaster sums graded exam, <laughs> that would get you the perfect score. That would be perfect. Yeah. I, I do have to say the pairing that I just personally enjoy the most right. would probably be the Walter Scott with the poutine and pork belly. Okay. I, I'm going to agree with you totally that the, the pork, the duck dumplings and the Walter Scott go super, super well together. And I, I think that's probably our best overall pairing that we got. You know, just because we didn't pick something with this Pinot Gris doesn't mean it's bad. Pinot Gris is absolutely delicious. Oh, yeah. It goes well with a lot of stuff. I'm going to drink so much of that over the next, like, five months. <laughs> yeah, we're, I think we're going to have to we're buy out the stores. Of All right, well, do you have a blind prepared for me, sir? I do. All right, well, we're going to go ahead and get that poured up for us. Okay. All right, so Seth's got a blind poured up for me, and let's see how well I do it. Yeah. Figuring out what it is. So Seth has poured me a white wine. This Good job. wine is clear with no evidence of gas or sediment. This is a kind of a pale golden color. Yeah, it's kind of a, a pale golden color. It's uh kind of seems to have some almost some silveriness. Some silveriness to it as a secondary color. When it comes to the legs on this wine they are you know just kind of medium nothing nothing really overly told by those on the nose 
this wine is a clean wine. No real jumping outness of faults or anything like that. Uh, I'm getting a light little bit of lemon, a little bit of earthiness behind it. I'm still working through some congestion issues. Mm-hmm. I'm so sure. <laughs> no, I really am. Mm-hmm. <laughs> First time he's coughed all day, folks. Exactly. Um, so there's a light little bit of uh, citrusiness on it. There's a little bit of non-earth on that I'll get to later. Some light florality to it. It's very, very delicate on the nose. Not a whole, and to me, not a whole lot jumping out of of the nose. So I'm gonna go ahead and head on to the palate. So this wine is clean. It's dry. I'm going to say, yeah, it's dry. Alcohol is medium. It's not super prevalent. The texture on it is lean. A little bit higher than I initially called. So maybe medium plus. It's lean in texture. Um, definitely dry. When it comes to flavors, there's a lot of like pithiness to it. A lot of kind of white feeling uh, citrusiness. So lemon pith. Not really lime or orange pith. So I'm just going to go with lemon pith there. The florality is not really as prevalent on the palate was when I mentioned on the nose. Um, when I go ahead and fully taste this wine, there's almost a little bit of like pear skin, almost a little bit of pear, pear flavor on there. The, the, that florality is really not there at all. Um, it's light. It's really, really white floweriness. Um, light mineral. Okay. Hang on. Hang on. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry, folks. Sorry, folks. Okay. I can't. So you just said, you can't let me do this. You just said there's no florality there. Didn't you just said a lot of white flour? No, I said a, there's a light white flour. There's not a lot of white flour. I will, I will correct that for, for the folks at home. I'm just, there is not a lot of white flour on this. I'm just saying, you know, go. So for <laughs> your listeners at home, <laughs> I, I have been telling Josh for, I, I truly think it's been years at this point. It has been years at this point. Go with your gut. Your gut is not going to lead you wrong. It, it does all the time. We're working on your gut. <laughs> Just some probiotics. So the, the florality of this is very light, if prevalent at all. Um, if it is, it is characterized by white white flower. It's a light minerality to it. There's a little bit of like chalky limestoniness to it, but it's not super prevalent. Not really a, a whole lot of herbaceousness, grassiness, or any other types of earthy earthiness to it. Seth is probably cringing over there. No, I think you're. I think you're. <laughs> I think you're on the right track. Now it's just, are you going to arrive? Just, am I going to land the, the right pl- conclusion? Am I going to land the plane the right way? Okay, so because of the lower alcohol levels, a little bit higher of acidity content, and just because of those things, I'm going to say this is an old world wine. I think some of the varieties it could be are more neutral varieties, like. You know, Greek, you know, Blanc. I never, I always say, I've always heard Chardonnay is a neutral varietal. There's something in my gut that tells me Gruner, but I'm missing a whole lot there. From a cooler, but kind of a moderate climate, the city's not super high, but prevalent. Okay. So again, for the readers, for the, <laughs> the listeners at home, and you better leave, you better leave this in. I'm going to, I'm going to leave it in. So, 
we on the podcast we we are told when we're coming with the blind to always use the advanced sommelier rubric of grapes. Oh yeah, which I don't know by heart. So why Josh uses a list of grapes he does not know by heart, I will not understand. But I would just like to point out that Pinot Blanc is not a possibility because it is not on the it's list. It's not on the list. I just started listing. I just honestly was listing neutral varietals, and I know I need like when I when I was trained, you you say three, but when it comes to neutral varietals that are testable, there's not very many. Exactly. So this should be relatively easy. <laughs> I mean, my okay. So all right, I'm just gonna you know throw formality out the window. My gut tells me this is you know Pinot Grigio or Pinot Gris because there's not a whole lot going on to it. There's not. There is acidity. There is some level of of citrus flavor to it, but it's not nothing is jumping and popping. So if I had, to, if I'm gonna go ahead and make my guess, and I'm always nervous when I taste with, when I taste with Seth, is that this is a Northern Italian Pinot Grigio because there's not a lot of weight to it, which would make me go toward Alsace. There's not a lot of uh, it, it just kind of leaves me when I taste it to think that this is where it's coming from. It's a really good representation of a high quality Pinot Grigio from North. So I'm about to find out how badly I did <laughs> on this blind, but you, my friends have to come back next week to find out how badly I did on this blind as Diego tries to eat all the snacks on the table but Seth, I thank you very much for being on the show again. It's always, always a pleasure. I'm, I'm happy to come back and do more. Um, it's going to be a great time. I really appreciate you coming on. This has been a really fun episode talking about natural wines and getting to, getting to just kind of into pairings again. And I just really appreciate you. If you love what you've heard today, remember to follow us on your favorite podcast platform. Give us a like, follow, subscribe, whatever it says. Feel free to shoot us some ratings. Seth is Seth E. Barlow on social media. He also writes for the Arkansas Democrat Gazette. He writes a weekly column called Bottle Shock. That's it. That's me. And you can find that out there on the internet land. And it's a great column. I suggest it comes out every Wednesday, Mm -hmm. uh, the day before our episode comes out. So read his column and then go listen to us on the next day. Find us out there on the social medias. You can find us at Acquired Tastings on Facebook. Instagram and Twitter. We're also out there on TikTok land now trying to figure out how TikTok works and how to make it how to make it so where more of you can hear us and see what we're doing. So Seth, thank you for being on what was another wonderful episode. And now we have a lot of food and wine. Very happy about how we've ended things. <laughs> Alright, so once again I'm Josh Mills. Oh, I'm still not John Mills. <laughs> and we'll see you next time.